we have the opportunity to be the change we wish to see in the world. And I still believe that. And I feel as though my personal political beliefs at this point empower each other to create the change where, and this is part of the reason I've, I've started straying further to one political side is because I just see one side waiting for Superman and thinking politicians are going to change everything. And I see a lot of the conservatives that I've become closer with and friends with in the be the change group, realizing that change comes from within. And as much as we're really fighting for one presidential candidate over another, they know that no matter what, they still want to be decent people. They're not going to cry. They're not going to be at the top, scream at the top of their lungs. They're going to still continue to try to create change on a daily basis. This is episode number 165 with Anthony Russo. You're listening to American Snippets, the all-American podcast for those looking to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Today's guest had every excuse to fail in life. He grew up wrapped in the cloud of poverty, addiction, and constant stress. But instead of allowing his challenges to become his excuses, he turned them into building blocks to be the change in his own life. He went on to build a multi-million dollar business with over 2,000 employees before deciding that there was much more he wanted to do with his life. Today, he is at the forefront of a new wave of warriors in a new battle threatening to overcome America, the battle for the hearts and minds of our citizens. His movement, Be the Change, is impacting thousands of Americans who crave a platform and outlet to nurture positivity and ignite meaningful change. With ambassadors like Cashley Kelly and other patriotic Americans, today's guest is leading a charge to counter the negativity and anti-patriotic movements that we're seeing across the country. In this episode of American Sippets, our guest Anthony Russo opens up about his childhood, his early failures, and the pivotal moment that awakened him to his next level of his personal and professional path. He talks about what Be The Change has already achieved, achieved and accomplished and how you can be a vehicle of change as well. So without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with our guest, Anthony Russo. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. Dave Brown, thank you very much for introducing today's guest, Anthony Russo. I'm very excited to be able to sit down here and speak with you today. I am ridiculously excited to speak to you as well. So <laughs> this is going to be fun. Yeah, you are one of these people with one of those platforms that hopped onto my radar some time ago. And I followed and I was like, oh, you know, I remember being encouraged seeing that somebody else had a very similar message and a platform that we did because a lot of people kind of thought we were crazy and, you know, it sounds kind of trite or whatever. Not that, that I let that stop me, but, you know, when you find other people that you're in good company, you realize, okay, I'm actually onto something. There is a need for this and your community loves it just as much as, as ours. And there's a need for what you're doing at Be The Change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just for starters, I think we're in a, in a world that I think conservatives are misunderstood. And there is a huge need for the conservative group to make change. So I think we the word change became an Obama philosophy. And it's like you get you can't be conservative, Republican, whatever, and actually want positive change. And I think that's a mentality that's been stuck in people. And 
would be the change. I It really was not supposed to be about politics, but it has started becoming that way. And I mean, hopefully it'll go back to the concept of positivity as well, but positivity and politics, the two P's. I know. And you know, as you're saying that the conversation that we had earlier is coming back to me because we did get down the, down the road into this. That's one area that we're very similar in with American snippets. We started positivity, possibility, patriotism. Oh, we're going to be, we're going to show everything positive when we just keep reminding people of how great this country is, what amazing people there are in it. They're all going to realize, you know, they're going to mend their wicked ways, kind of right. Like they're going <laughs> to, they're right. going to fall into this melting pot and remember that America is awesome. Stop, you know, focusing on being angry and start shifting that energy back towards uh, hope. And we had all these, all these illusions and ideas like three years ago. And just like you said, well, I don't know if this is what's happening to you, but we have not been able to avoid the the political side yeah. of it. It just. It's impossible almost if you're going to really stand for what you you believe in and your platform and your message. Politics is it's like that creepy uncle that, that is in your family and you just can't ignore him. Right. Like he's there Stop talking about our presidential candidate. Um, <laughs> but no, it, you're, yeah. you're right. And I started I started to be the change four years ago because I saw a void in our country's ability to take action over awareness. So I, I don't know if we talked about this, but my uh, the company company Be the Change started because of the police shooting in Dallas. I was a mile away from there, and I I was always politically minded. Like I'll have a conversation. I was pretty educated in it, not not spending the ten hours a day that I do now. Mm-hmm. But I looked at this event. There is a anti police protest, and then police protecting people protesting against them. And then five police officers were snipered, killed in that event. So it was the Dallas Five. And I, and I look at what's going on and I go, what were they protesting against? Like, what, what, what was the outlier of an occasion? And I started realizing our country has become a country that just yells at the top of their lungs without a plan of action. So one of the first things I said was the president means 1% of your daily life. We have the opportunity to be the change we wish to see in the world. And I still believe that. And I feel as though my personal political beliefs at this point empower each other to create the change where, and this is part of the reason I've, I've started straying further to one political side is because I just see one side waiting for Superman and thinking politicians are going to change everything. And I see a lot of the conservatives that I've become closer with and friends with in the be the change group, realizing that change comes from within and as much as we're really fighting for one presidential candidate over another, they know that no matter what, they still want to be decent people. They're not going to cry. They're not going to be at the top, scream at the top of their lungs. They're going to still continue to try to create change on a daily basis. Yeah. And that is an important point, too. It doesn't matter. You know, obviously we can vote and we can advocate for our candidate. Uh, but at the end of it all, like one particular person, me, myself, Barb Allen, you, Anthony Russo, independently don't have much control over who's sitting in the White House like, come, come January. Right. So our choice then is to move forward in spite of who's in the White House, if it's not your candidate that you're voting for right. or, you know, move forward you know, happily or whatever it is. But either way, like how what are you going to do? Like what do if everybody's sitting back to, to wait, person, yeah, you know? like, well, if this guy wins, then we're doomed. And I, I give up for another four years. Then we just, you know, it's not my fault that I can't succeed. It's not my fault that I'm angry. It's not my fault that 
um, swearing at people and getting in fights online because our president, you know, it's like, it's a what do you lack do? of self-responsibility. Yeah. And that's one of the platforms that you have, or that's one of the points that you have is that we can be the change by accepting self-responsibility. And that's hard, man. It's really it's much easier to sit back and be like, I was going to get this workout in today, but it's raining. That's my fault. Like, you know, I can't go for a run. Like, or, or somebody called me, my call ran longer than I was supposed to. Not my fault. Like, you know, or I can't start this business because, you know, I didn't get this loan or I didn't get that meeting or there's always reasons to, to put that blame or accountability somewhere else. And it's really, really tempting to do that. Right. It is. And I think so. What I actually speak on my personal, when I do motivational speaking, um, I transitioned from being, I, well, still am an MC, but I was like the on-field host for all the NCAA championships. Uh, I did MC work at spring break, all these different things. And I started transitioning to motivational speaking and my motivational speaking is on overcoming failure. So <clears throat> I, I talk a lot about self-responsibility because in my early career out of college, when I started doing things, I realized there was two options. You could throw other people under the under the bus and try to find a way to just not make friends along the way, or you take utter and complete self-responsibility for your mistakes, never make the same mistake twice. And when you do make the mistake, take ownership in it, tell your bosses why, why it happened and why it'll never happen again. And instantly I was always straight up to management or straight up to whatever the next level was or straight up to head MC or straight, et cetera. And I realized there's so much power in ownership. Yeah. What are some of the mistakes you're talking about that you made that you went to someone and said, Hey, oopsie. so we, so I started out, the reason I got an MC, it was a tour. It was a, um, a tour for the NCAA, which is how I ended up starting to work with NCAA over the last over a decade. But like, it'd be things like, you know, the truck had an issue and we didn't make it on time or whatever it was to the next location. I'd be like, you know, I, we, we left an hour late. And that was, we, we misjudged. We forgot about the time change. Little things that doesn't, don't sound like much, but people are deathly afraid to do something wrong and admit they did something wrong. I just read, like, honestly, it was 15, I guess I'm old. It was Shut <laughs> <15. up. laughs> It was, it was gray. It was gray. Okay, okay. We'll but it was like 15 years ago, 16 years ago. And it's, you know, in your mid twenties, it's hard to just go, little things, little like, uh, oh, we didn't turn our, that's perfect. We didn't turn our, our, uh, our expense reports in on time because, you know, maybe we went out too much the night before. And I said, that was totally our fault, my fault. And instantly it's like, all right, we know why they didn't get received. And that's a big deal to not get expense reports in. And it never happens again. You, you, you make the mistake once or you fail one time and you learn from it and you become better after that. And if you admit it, there's a chance that you make progress in a company. Yep. And you got to be willing to just be like, own it, right? Like maybe they're going to get mad. Maybe I'll get fired. Maybe I won't have the client again, but you still, you got to do it, man. Cause it's always going to come back it. out anyway. Your reputation is everything is everything. Sounds I think always going to rise. I'd rather Some- have somebody saying, Oh my gosh, you know what they did? They did this. And I've made some really, a couple like really big doozies. Right. And there's a couple of people out there that will the opposite of endorse me. Right. Because these, I owned, I went, I said, I'm sorry, I can't believe I did this. And it's like nothing else I can do beyond that. Right. But I've never made those mistakes again. Um, so what were you doing then before that? Uh, how did you, you talk about going to college and you're doing work, but, and then suddenly I'm emceeing double, you know, NCAA, like there, there's obviously a few little steps. 
everything super unrelated. Yeah. Super unrelated. So I, I went to, uh, I got a painting scholarship if to go to college. Okay. So to give you an idea, I went to a liberal arts college in Milwaukee. Um, I remember that I, when I was in college, right out of college, there was a girl that had a George Bush bumper sticker that I was like, nope. Mm-mm, can't do it, which is hilarious <laughs> thinking about like the current political climate we're in now and realizing that when I did have uh, liberal, well, I still have liberal beliefs, but when I had the democratic beliefs that I was actually judging someone based on their candidate. And I realized looking back now, I'm like, that's not the way it should be. Like, it shouldn't be that way. So anyways, uh, I went to art school and got a degree in graphic design and communication and a minor in advertising. Everybody in my my art college knew that I was better at speaking than I was at designing. So I went straight into sales for graphic design and staffing. And then I remember I was a little, little huskier out of college. And, um, a girl that I used to date was like, "Mm, you're still cute, but you got a little chubby. And I decided then to start running and running marathons and getting back in shape, which is how I got into promotional, uh, like promotional brand ambassador modeling, et cetera. And uh, one day I took a gig for a buddy of mine that couldn't do something, couldn't work. And, and he, um, and it was 12, I remember it was $12 an hour. There's a weird, there's a lot of biblical stuff with the number 12 and, and whatever and spirituality, but for $12 an hour, I took this gig and really the rest of my life was based off of this one day. Um, I met these guys and I was currently at the time doing promotions for Budweiser and so these guys thought I was the coolest thing on the planet because I took them out at night for free beer during the day. I had like really funny stories like this guy's got to be full of it. And uh, <laughs> they're like, hey, we're short a man on this tour. We do setup, breakdown, driving trucks across the country, staff management and MC. And I was like, I got nothing to do because I, I just left my job because I was trying to do something else. And I was like, all right, let's go for it. So I hopped on the road about three weeks later. And, uh, the main thing it was, it was called the spirit of champions tour from Coca-Cola and it was all college events. And that's how the MC stuff worked within one and a half, two months. I became our lead MC just cause I was able to turn it on. I didn't, you know, was, when I was younger, I had this, I was, when I was in high school or even a little bit younger, my mom would hear me in the basement, like, let's get ready to rumble. (laughs) So I did not realize it. Although my mom was terrified for the fact I was talking to myself that it would actually come in handy later in life. So I I did that outside the NCAA championships. And then one year in like 2009, they're like, Hey, it was lacrosse championships. in I think Philly, Baltimore. And they, um, they go, Hey, will you come inside and do two minutes in front of, you know, 30,000 people just for like one of our brand sponsors. I was like, absolutely. And that was from that point on, I've been hired for college world series every year and lacrosse, a lot of them, softball, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Spring break though. That's one, (laughs) that's when I finally retired at the age of 36. So 2019 was my final year. I did spring break in South Padre. I was the main stage host. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Give us, give us a spring break story. Oh God. Um, well, what's, I'll, I'll keep this one cleaner than most. The, the, what, what kept me relevant was I'm really good at talking smack to people and make like, I'm a, I was a roaster. A roaster. Yeah. So those are awesome. How can a 35 year old 30, whatever 
year old white dude with limited rhythm, the inability to like know when drops are in songs, be a good spring break MC in front of 10,000 people when he's introducing Cardi B. People would get there sometimes early on some of our concert days and I would just talk trash, like pick out people in the audience. People love to get made fun of, especially college students, because it's attention. As long as you're not being mean about it, you're being graceful. And meanwhile, talking crap about myself, self-responsibility, making self-deprecating humor. So there'd be nights that we I'd go, we'd go out to the bars and they would know obviously who our group was, who I was. And they would just do Snapchats and Instagram videos to their friends that didn't make it out. Just saying, Hey, talk trash to Steve. Cause he's such a yada yada. He didn't make it out. He, he thought this girl was cute. And I would literally just talk trash. So I was known as the guy that even in my thirties was cool. Cause I could talk smack. That's excellent. Have you ever been to that bar in Tennessee? I, what is the name of it in Nashville that you walk in and their job is to insult you from the second oh, yeah. you walk in. Yeah. That place, right? I don't know. It's hilarious though. It's not winners and losers, but no, I've been to the <laughs> one you're talking about. And I, I sometimes, if I'm feeling spry, sometimes will play back and forth and sometimes they like me. Sometimes they don't because I'm really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's it. We're definitely hanging one day because I can I can go a few rounds myself. There are some things I'm good at. I can ride a bull and I can talk smack. Um, a mechanical bull. A, bowl, a so. mechanical bull, that is. Um, no. <laughs> but uh, I could probably talk smack to you while I'm riding a mechanical bull. And then, you know, we could level it up. Keep it interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, look, we were talking before about, and you, again, reference personal accountability and personal mm-hmm. responsibility and all this. And we mentioned that there's ample opportunities in all of our lives to blame our current situation on our past situation or whatever it is to have it. And it seems like you had that opportunity as well. You didn't have the easiest time growing up or or as a child. Are you open to to talking about that and sharing? So because you actually pulled some lessons out of some experiences with your dad that yeah. you were able to look at them and realize even there that there's, there's a lesson, which is a pretty cool uh, gift to have. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, um, and you know, it's funny about it lately. I've been, because I think of what my, my, my mom's, uh, well, my grandfather's transitioning to, to the next life, uh, to wherever, um, <laughs> I guys, hope, sorry, you know, he, like he's going to a good place. Right? I'm, I'm, he's <laughs> going to heaven. Like, you know, I, it, you know, it's, it's, he goes, it's, yeah. he's, he's okay. never been much to talk about God. I'm changing the subject briefly, okay. but he's actually, my mom's been there with him and he's, yeah, yeah. While he was still speaking a little bit, he was asking some questions about the universe and God. It's very interesting what, you know, a 93-year-old man starts thinking of. But I, with that, it makes me think of my dad more, obviously. My dad passed away, I guess, six years ago now. Um, and I start thinking of, you know, my childhood even more, even though I talk about it all the time. My personal speaking business is, is the overcoming failure is based directly off my father. So my father was a compulsive gambler. Um, he was, and I grew up in poverty right above the power. Well, right at the poverty line. Um, so he was a compulsive gambler that also had multiple sclerosis. So he was disabled for 40 years. So I, I always am defensive when people ever drop the privilege line. I'm like, no, no, let's, let's be clear here. Let's talk about what I went through. And I, and I do not, I do not regret anything in my childhood or whatever it is, but do not do not call me privileged. Um, so I, he was, uh, he twice in my life, he gambled away my, our family's life savings, which were never more than a thousand dollars. Like whatever it was, was to get through to the next month. And 
um, I was a very precocious kid. Like I was probably more tactful and uh, on it than I am now when I was like six years old. Like I was, I was, I was the head of household period between, you know, between my mom and I, but anyhow, um, he gambled with a style called negative progression, which is you double your bet every time you lose. And I learned this later in life. Um, the, the way that negative progression works every, so if you were to lose seven times in a row, but you're still doubling every time, which doesn't sound like much seven times in a row, but if you bet $10, you're actually betting around a thousand by the time you get to the seventh hand. Um, (laughs) in gambling, very dangerous, not a smart way because of table maximums and you can actually lose 10, 12, 13 times in a row and it just becomes impossible. But in life, it's a great philosophy because the cool thing is when you win, no matter what, if you've been doubling down every time, you end up one bet ahead. So in life, if you look at it like that, it's, are you willing to keep reaching in your pocket and putting more on the line? And each time the key behind what I call the double down strategy, the key is making sure you learn every time you lose, every time you fail and positivity and failure at the same time. And, and everything from my, from growing up with my dad um, and, and, my parents got divorced young. I just see that there's such an opportunity to learn from our life lessons instead of rely upon them as a crutch to why we are the way we are. Yeah. And I've, I've accidentally lived my life before coming up with that double down concept. That's exact same way. I made, I made mistakes in business. I made mistakes. Uh, My first business failed. I was hundred thousand dollars in debt and the the lessons I learned from that I took to my next business and I didn't make the same mistakes then. And then that business failed because of a bad partnership. And then I didn't make the same mistakes twice. And then I had a million dollar company, but I learned from all these different aspects as I went instead of giving up. It's the ultimate thing is to just not, not give up and also pay attention to what got you there in the first place. And yeah. when you, you know, when you talk about self-responsibility being kind of difficult, when we talked about that, I think there's a, a generation, including my my generation, that's like a 20 year gap where we were like during the Varsity Blues area uh, era and the, those high school football movies were like perfection, and parents were teaching perfection. Everything has to be perfect, and I think that's what we're waiting for and we're expecting. And expecting perfection is just such an impossible ideal and goal, and we forget that the the path the journey is very important and every failure is i i look at failure very po- in a very positive manner because every failure is a lesson and we've been so deathly afraid of risk taking and failures because of our childhood and because of the way i that one 20 year gap was told to raise their children i think that that's the mentality we have to break and that's not just in life that's also in our political arena because we see everything now so we think that our candidates have to be perfect. Nobody's going to be, we're not going to fully right. agree with anyone ever. And like, if we had had social media for all the presidents, I bet you we'd have a much different <laughs> view or even outcome of elections. You know, if we really knew uh, a lot more about who they are as people instead of as, as presidents. All right. So you'd said a lot of things there. I want to dig into a little bit, but sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's great. I love it when that happens. So let's get into just, um, Sum up quickly, what is the difference then between giving up after a series of failures and uh, and altering your course? You know, how do you differentiate between the two? How do you know when it's time to say, okay, like for instance, your first business, what was that business? 
uh, pride tags. It was uh, dog tags, jewelry, same thing. So what I call that, since we're on the gambling side, yeah. no one to hold them, no one to fold them. Right. <laughs> um, there, so there's an element to it. You have to look, the best way I describe it is when you wake up in the morning, several mornings in a row realizing, cause I don't want to, I don't like when people give up too easy either. Right. Um, but there is a certain level where you just know, whereas a human being, you know, that it doesn't fuel you anymore. You're not excited. There's, there is times where you're a hundred thousand dollars in debt and grinding on something and you are still jacked up about it. And you still have faith and you don't need to listen to other people's mentality, but there's a certain point where it becomes painful. Once it becomes painful and you see no, and that goes for successful businesses too. When it is no longer something that fuels you, if you're an entrepreneur, it's time to move on. That's when you fold them and you, but you do it gracefully. You make a plan. You actually figure out how your exit strategy and what you're going to do next to, in my case, it was, how am I going to cover $2,500 in loans a month? Like I had to start transitioning out and make an intelligent decision instead of like, "Mm, this sucks. (laughs) What was your solution? How did you, how did you Come up with that. I went back into the industry that I knew would pay, which was the uh, which was the event industry, and was just work hustling events a bunch. I realized that some for me to pay the bills was actually costing the opportunity for the company to make it. At the same time, it was during the recession, so I I, I fully know that if it if I had the business a couple of years earlier or a couple of years later, it probably would have worked. Right. I just. It, starting a business in 2008 was bad timing. Ballsy. See, yeah. I, well, <laughs> yeah. I started it before the recession. I got yeah, the yeah, loan yeah. right as like right as things were on the horizon, which is funny because they gave me a low doc loan, like a low documentation loan with like a cosigner, like nice business plan. Here's a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> thank you. So. Thank you very much. Yeah, All right. You. Your, your second business. What was that? Second business. I was, uh, it went, so that was, after that first business went over, I had a the guy that was one of my closest friends and the first guy that really got me into uh, event marketing and uh, promotional events. And seeing he's actually probably the guy I learned how to MC from. He got fired from the company, and I, in hindsight, he was like, "We got I got let go because of this." He got fired. to be honest, he got fired. And there was certain business practices that I saw coming into play when him and I went into business together. So we, we both decided let's, let's start our own experiential marketing agency. This is the world we know. He had, he had connections with the clients from the previous, the previous business. And I, you know, I was a good worker and I can always make things happen. And him and I were always like a vicious tag team. We're always really good. And that was called identity partners. And we had a couple, we had NCAA doing small events and then we kept pitching Coca-Cola, but we were too small of a company, even though we had connections there. And quickly we realized that this wasn't paying the bills enough. I was being much smarter with my money and we did not set things up the proper way to do a partnership in a business. We, you know, we're friends. So we figured it'd be okay. It never ends well. I, I had a, in our industry, and I think in the world we live in today, you need to have instant response. Like the whole work-life balance, I think is a myth. There is a way to do it and there's a way to do it intelligently. But when this is so easy to carry around, it's very, and this was 2010, it was easy to carry around then. You have to be, if you let a day go by 
without response to a client, it's I'm over. Sorry. Yeah, it's over. And we dealt with a couple of things. I got him some extra work emceeing and we were kind of paying our own bills doing MC work. And then that just, that it quickly ended when there's just, there'd go three or four days before getting things done. I'm like, we don't have that time and we don't have, we're at a net 45 and, and we've got a net 30 to pay things. So I had one of my clients reach out. This is a much longer story, but they said, this company failed. This was horrible. Can you do staffing? And I was like, Mm-hmm. Business partner was like, <laughs> we're not a staffing can. agency. Yeah. I'm like, we are a whatever will pay us agency at this point. And we quit. We ended up having the Super Bowl in 2011 in Dallas, which was a hundred thousand dollar plus 10 day event. And, and it was, I mean, it was, it was the worst week of my whole entire life, but we made it happen. What did you do for that? We staffed a hundred. We went from, we went from staffing six people at the, at the world series to them going, how about Super Bowl, which is a whole different world because you have to get credentialed two months in advance. It is the hardest event to staff for promotional models and brand ambassadors in the country, bar none, no questions asked. And it was literally the first thing that we did. And there was an ice storm in Dallas. Amazing. So it was, uh, it, it was like Forrest Gump. After that, shrimping was easy. Like it was, it made, and, it, and him and I ended up dissolving our partnership legally, uh, about five months, four or five months after that. And from that point forward, I just hit the ground running. And when it was all by myself, I had one client to start and we were at, I was in a million dollars in revenue within 18 months. Doing what? Staffing? Staffing. Staffing promotional models and brand ambassadors and started bringing on people. I ended up hiring my mom for several years. We, I had a cool little small team of internal team of four or five people. And then I, we were staffing about 2000 brand ambassadors a year. Well, and a brand ambassador, you mean someone who has a product that they're representing at an event? So, yeah. So like if you go to an event and you've got somebody like showing you like the AT&T features on right, a right, phone. Right. Yeah. yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's a whole world. I can just imagining the logistics and details that, that go into that. You have to be very detail oriented. Very much so. And that was part of the reason why I started transitioning out in 2018 is the intellectual property was, I I did not organize it. And that would be a lesson for my next, for what I'm doing with Be The Change is I did not organize it to scale. I organized it to, it could always be that right around one to $1.5 million agency. And it would just be set right there. And there was the, the, the systems and processes did not allow room for growth. Uh, and I, and it was time. I, so 2016, when we talk about the police shooting, I made a post and this is like my manifesto where like life changed. And I was angry, even though I had voted for Obama, I had lost kind of hope in Obama in about 2013. And then when the police shooting happened, I did not like the way it was handled. And I saw our country imploding and I thought it was leadership based. And I put a very long post. My first sentence or my first paragraph was not positive. And I know people don't read past that, but I, four pages of really interesting information on how to come together as people, but people didn't read the top. And there ended up being a hate group created about me, people that had worked for me, people that had, I mean, that I had paid over time. I mean, people I've been very good to. And I was like, what is going on? And that's when I started like slowly realizing it's time to start finding what I want to do to make an impact on the world and do and start focusing on that. But it got ugly. There was like a hundred people in a hate group saying I was a terrible person simply because I, I really was angry 
at where the country had become because of Obama. I think at the time it was very specifically because of how much he supported Michael Brown, which is one thing I just couldn't get down with because I'm from St. Louis. And I'm like, I don't, I can't see how you're, the, the whole concept of martyring a criminal. And that was the beginning of the end. I had people trying to reach out to my clients wow. and, and like tell them that, you know, you're you, the company that you've hired is a bigot and whatever. I'm like, oh my goodness, make it stop. <laughs> make it stop. Wow. Well, I guess if you're not, if you don't have people angry at you, then you're probably not really standing firm for what you, yeah. for what you believe in. We're experiencing that on some level. Uh, I get some messages. I shared one the other day. Someone called me. <laughs> I can't, I don't know if I should even say that word here on the podcast. I broke back the other word for a cat. Um, oh. um, you're, you're broke yeah. back this, keep on losing. Right. And I'm like, Oh, that's it. I don't even, I, I don't even know what that means, but um, yeah. And it just comes in, right. Because you, you, you just dare to stand up. And I think it takes, you have to be willing to withstand some of that. And I think you have to go through some of that at one point in your life so that you don't get taken down by it now. Right. And there's a way to go about it and you continue to go out there and your videos continue to state your beliefs and what you're standing up for and um, stand up against it, but you still maintain a level of respect and you still call that. Well, it's like a double-edged sword though. Like there's, realistically, what you're standing up for and pointing out is only going to appeal to one base. You can continue to invite the other side in. Yeah. They're not going to come. Um, they don't. But yeah, they, do. <laughs> they don't. Uh, and that's what we're discovering too. We did our very best to walk that line for a couple of years. And then we just said, screw it. We're just going to embrace who we are. And I see you making, even in between our first conversation and today, it was like right after we had that first conversation, I saw your first couple of posts like, you know what, the hell with this. I, 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 this is where I am and this is where I stand. How has that been? Because you took some flack in the past couple of weeks, like a new level. Yeah, of, it's a uh, pushback. It's funny. Like I, I always looked at like the Candace Owens and the Tommy Lawrence and David Harris's. And I looked at the hate that they got and I was like, how do they handle that? And then I realized there is a big difference between strangers and friends. So I can deal with strangers. I kind of enjoy that. And I actually, there's a couple of people that have been in, out of my life for a long time that are liberal that I've become friends with again, because they were interested in having a real conversation. But when it's friends that you were friends with a couple months ago, like best friends, close friends, the people that I feel dislike my views the most were people I married I married them and they're, I married the, literally I've done two weddings as an ordained minister for $39.95 online. <laughs> I've done two weddings and I feel as though the people that detest me, my views the most are those two groups wow. and there's, and it's weird. And it, and it does, it starts to hurt because here's the deal. If they want to go, I disagree because like Anthony, I would like to have a conversation about that. Cool. Let's have it. But instead I get, responses like stupid. When did you become such an asshole? When did you be like all these things? And yeah. if it was strangers that say way worse, I don't care. It's the friends. It's like, how did we lose this ability? And honestly, like I disagree with which way you're voting, Steve, Timmy, Tommy, whatever, but I don't like, there's no dislike there at all. I would love to just go, why are you voting this way? What? Let's talk. Yeah. But literally all I get back 
to you know not get back. They start it. They'll see my post that just you know says a fact or has has an article with the description, which I always like to do. I don't just like to share articles. I'll right. give my snippet because I know people aren't going to read the whole damn article, mm-hmm. and I'll just get these just ignorance at me. So yeah, it's gotten a little worse. And I will be honest, I started when we started uh, growing. Truthful. So the whole to give kind of a backstory to the viewers, Truth Will Set You Free is the program that's grown our, our network, our platform. And I remember in the beginning of COVID, our, Be The Change had just kind of been stagnant for a couple of years and I didn't know where I was going with it. Truth Will Set You Free, I'm like, I want to go out and I just want to have a conversation about misconceptions and truth and COVID. I want to go do this. I did it by myself. This was in late March because I had seen so much vitriol online. I'm like, I want to do this. So I got on and it was great. I had a little exchange. I went on for two and a half, three hours. And I was like, here it is. The next one, uh, I had a couple guests on and it was okay. And then George Floyd happened. And my group of friends, me and two black guys were like, we need to have a conversation. We need to have an uncomfortable discussion. Let's go have this uncomfortable talk. So we went on and we had, oh my goodness, 50 live viewers at once. We were like, this is really good. And we talked for two hours. We brought on a guest. And it was great. It was phenomenal. And, and I don't, and I judge my work pretty hard. And I was like, that was, that was really, really good. And I reached out to Cashley Kelly. I saw his video when he only had about three or 4 million views and him and I became very, very fast friends after he, the reason he actually responded is because I have the same last name as a guy he spent juvie with and he thought it was him. So we started talking and then the next, the next show we had like a thousand live viewers at once and it was insane. And from that point, I've wanted it to maintain as liberal and conservative and have a discussion, find a way to come together, learn how to meet emotion with empathy and then facts and all these different things. And the, and our audience has just maintained a conservative basis because I firmly believe that the conservative audience is more willing to listen to all points. Even if they disagree, they're willing to listen to all points. Whereas we've had people, even white liberals that will go, you don't have a black enough audience. I'm like, we have four black hosts and me. I'm, okay. I'm the only white guy. <laughs> Your audience is not diverse enough. Okay. And then, and our, and our hosts are not all conservative either. It's like, I, I don't know how to help you. And one person said, you don't have any specialists on systematic race or systemic racism. You don't have any scholars. So I can't, I can't buy into this. I'm like, sweet Lord, we've lost our mind. So, but we've, we have like you, I've, I've had to embrace my conservatism, conservative, you got it. Um, (laughs) And, and realize that I still have, I still maintain having that open mind this week. We're actually, and I'm going to talk to you when we're done, we're having a all female discussion of how can you vote for one way? How can you vote for another way? So I don't know what you're doing tomorrow night, but we'll talk about it. Anyways, uh, but awesome. I, um, yeah, I just, I always want to have the open-minded thought, the open-minded shows where we have both aspects. Cash comes a little hard with the, like the pro Trump. And although our beliefs are very similar, I like to have a conversation in a different way. And that's kind of how we've grown. And we, we have, we've grown from 500 followers that didn't care to 15,000 in since George Floyd, essentially. So. Yeah. And I think that speaks a lot to good people actually want it. And Maybe even at the beginning of this whole pandemic insanity, people sort of cared, but they were like, let's just get this election over with and we'll just move on with it. But it just escalated so strongly in the past couple months. And now it's like more and more. I feel like 
feel like most of the people on the right or the conservatives were like that sleeping bear that was poked and poked and poked and poked and poked. And we, we like, let it go, let it go. But now all of a sudden we're like, all right, man, you poke me one more time and, and I'm up. Right. And a lot of the people, a lot of us are getting up now and, and standing up and, and roaring really, but you have Important. to, um, in a certain way. And I've had people, you know, I can't believe you're voting for Trump. I, I don't have, I had somebody say this to me. I don't have any room in my life for any new Trump supporters, but you know, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep some of the ones that, that are already in my life. So basically telling me I was grandfathered in to his Don't circle. do any favors. I'm like, Oh my <laughs> God. Oh, thank you. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Like, thank you. You know, and somebody else came right out and said, you're voting for Trump. I may still like you or keep you in my circle or like you in my life. That being said, it does tell me something about who you are in deeper level right? because you're voting for him. So, you know, I'm going to keep an eye on you, but I'll let you in my circle. And I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> you know? It's the character assassination. That's crazy it to me. And that's where, that's where I'm like, yeah, we're good here. Like you can say, yeah, I think you, somebody could say to me, I think you're an idiot for voting Trump. And I'd be like, cool. Why? Like, let's talk right. about it. But when somebody goes, this, this is the backhanded one is one of the, one of the things I got was you, uh, I go, do you think just, I know you disagree with why I'm voting, but like, do you still feel the same as about me as a person? And her response was, well, I think less of your, um, how does she say it? She goes, I don't, mm, it was something along. Like, I don't, I, I think a little less of your beliefs or something, but it was definitely an attack on character and not an attack on beliefs. Right. It was essentially saying like she I thought question like, your morals or your ethics. Yeah, but, actually, know. that's what it was. Yeah. She goes, that, that was perfect. She goes, yeah. I question. She goes, no, you're still a great guy. I just question your morals. <laughs> that's the same as questioning your character. That's yes. like, like I, yeah. I don't, I, you do not attack somebody's character unless that's a, that's a game ender for me. Like you, we can go back and forth as we, we could talk smack all day long. Yes. But do not question my character which we, i also get a lot lately like oh be the change and you're talking about trump clearly you're a fraud <laughs> clearly you're this i'm like please leave kindly leave yeah. uh, bye-bye bye-bye well, <laughs> man it's fascinating fascinating well i for one am really glad that you are out there and doing what you're doing i'm glad to see your community growing i'm glad now to be a part of it here, um, you know, more actively. So I think there's more of a need for platforms like yours and ours, and even platforms, you know, from the conservatives. They, if there was a be the change on the, on, I mean, on the liberal side, I'd check it out, right? I just haven't yeah. found one, um, but I would, I, I would check it out and try to be a part of it. But um, carry on, man. Keep doing what you're doing, and please let us know if there's any way down the road that we can support you, work together, whatever it is in our community. I think. Um, those of you listening should definitely go over to be the change. Anthony, if they want to find you and learn more about your organization and who you are, hire you to come speak and you do coaching as well too. talk about that quickly before we wrap yeah, up. Yeah, but, so um, be the change USA on Facebook, make sure you have the USA. Uh, I believe so. it's the same on, on YouTube, youtube.com backslash C backslash. Be the we'll change put the links up in our article too. Yeah. 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 Um, and then personally, I do performance coaching for overcoming failure. So I'm not like the typical like ROI, ROI type thing where, 
all right, we're going to get your sales up from 20%. It's more of a mindset <laughs> coach uh, to realize the power and the positivity and failure. And well, nothing better for 2020. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so that you can find me also on the Be The Change page or my website is doubledownstrategy.com on that one. You can get all my contact info on there. Uh, and to what you said earlier, be vocal. Like I, I think that's the biggest thing is now, and we are, we are speaking up and I don't think that there is, there is bad people on the left and the right. There is the ultra racist. And then there's the ultra hateful. Like that's just the way it is, but finding the, the middle group together and, and allowing the more good people that speak up about being conservative and even Trump voters or Trump supporters, it'll make the left start realizing, Oh, God, it's going to be really hard for me to dislike all of these people. And we've been quiet for so long because we're terrified, absolutely terrified of the judgment and being, I mean, I, I, I will be honest. I've already been told that there's a couple jobs that because my platform has grown and I have a conservative belief that I am no longer eligible for. And that is an honest to God truth. Yes. And I've, I've accepted that, but the more we all speak up, the harder it becomes to, to just judge one side over another, one side being good, one side being bad. We're all still very, very equal. And most of us have the same goal. We just have very different concepts on how to get there on that togetherness. So yeah, those are my, be, uh, also if the website is hashtag be the change.com spelled out hashtag. And likewise, someday I would love to, we'll, we'll continue to work, but the ultimate goal of be the change is actually to, because we own the trademark for education and uh, events. So to have large positivity events of people that have been the change in their lives and in their communities. Once the event world comes back up, that is the goal. And that's, we're in the middle of a $1.5 million seed funding round. Once we get there, we'll be, we'll be killing it. And, uh, and I'm sure you'll, hopefully we'll have you, you guys awesome. somewhere on the, along for the ride. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. And I got to ask this question before I let you go. Um, I know I told you 40 minutes, but this was such a fun conversation. I just got carried away. Um, so Dave and I started American Snippets just over three years ago, I guess, or just after the last election or during it, somewhere around there. Because at, at that point, we realized the divisiveness for me personally, it was impacting me and like dragging me down. I'm like, I saw everything yeah. that my family gave up and sacrificed and, and lost uh, on behalf of our country. Uh, raising my kids without their dad who died in Iraq for this country. And people to me were just sort wow. of throwing away that sacrifice. And it, to me, it made me struggle with my own loss and finding meaning in my loss. But I knew that there were a lot of great people in this country, people who stepped forward to support my family, people that stepped forward to support other families and people who directly impacted me and others. And I figured if we can bring those stories of like people like that, that came into my life out to others, you know, we'll show people that, uh, there are really more amazing people in this country than other uh, than than they believe. But one of the biggest beliefs that we push forward is that the American dream is, in fact, alive and well and is available to everybody. It's just that we all have a different idea of what that dream looks like. It is a unique version to us all. So we'd like to ask you, what is your version of the American dream? Uh, for myself or for America? Well, for you. You could do okay. both if you want. <laughs> it's, two, it's two different things. <laughs> All right, now uh, you got me. You got me curious. So yeah. yeah. No, for America, it's to it's to create a air of um, possibility to 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 get, to empower people to realize they can actually rise out of whatever they are, and to not to to, to use your past as fuel, and not be burnt down by the fire of it. So that's the that would be my dream. That's kind of what I want to 
do with Be The Change. But with Be The Change and personally, the American dream is and will be to take, honestly, take Be The Change and grow it to a lifelong enterprise for me that I never leave. Uh, even if I go on to other ventures, there's a, you know, I look at pot as I'm doing seed funding, you look at different podcast networks that were there for three years and they sold for way too many millions of dollars and all these different things. That's not my idea. My idea is to be able to continue this on for my life. And I even joke that I'm like, I don't care how much percentage I have in the company once we've gotten shareholders, because if I'm able to create what I want, which is that concept of empowering people and growing this positivity across the board, my speaking fees will be plenty to, to supplement what I need to live on. And that the American dream for me is that is being able to create change in people and motivate people to be better. And I, I never, I, I knew that there was something a little bit more for me about 10 years ago. Um, and I've met kind of spirit guides along the way that have kind of nudged me in that direction. Like you're meant for something to change uh, people and become bigger to make an impact. So my American dream personally for myself is to truly change the mindset of millions of people to create positivity and not politically minded, but to create positivity and create the opportunity for them. Cause I didn't have a ton of opportunities. I, I, I will, <laughs> I will admit the one thing I've learned this year that I've truly changed my thought process on what white privilege means. The one thing I never was judged for was walking in a shoe store or a bank because of the color of my skin, everything else that you look at the check boxes of the, under the underserved and underprivileged black or African-American home, I fit, I checked all of those boxes. I had the free lunch. I had the, you know, emotionally abusive, like father, you know, but I had a lot of love. I, I should say emotionally abusive to my mom, but ultimately we all have our stories. We all have what got us here. And there is some, there is some positives to one thing or another, but a lot of people didn't have a disabled father either. So we all have our stories. And so that's passing on the ability to empower each other is what I would like as the American dream. Love it. We got to get you back for like eight more episodes. But uh, I really appreciate, like I said, you taking the time to sit down and talk with us today. This is fun. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. There you have it. That wraps up another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'd like to personally thank Anthony Russo for being here as well and sharing his story. Don't forget, each and every week, we do a full uh, write-up, an article on every one of our guests and their story. You can find that over at americansnippets.com. You can re-listen to the podcast interview, watch the video interview, read the article, and we'll also include some links there that you can use to uh, be a part of Be The Change and follow Anthony Russo on social. Um, if you got any value out of today's episode, please share our podcast with a friend. Let them know what we're doing here. Share this episode on Facebook, uh, on Instagram. Make sure you tag us at American Snippets. And finally, please, if you haven't done so yet, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. iTunes reviews go a really long way in helping us grow the show and getting uh, our guests discovered, getting more eyeballs on what we're doing here. And we would really appreciate your support. Uh, again, don't forget, we have the Great American Syndicate. This is our community, our association of patriotic, like-minded Americans. So if you want to join our 
our community. We would love to have you on board. We're looking for more leaders, patriotic Americans, grateful Americans, just like you. Uh, right now, we're offering a free T-shirt just for taking a look. Go to greatamericansyndicate.com. Again, we appreciate you being here today. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are.